Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. And so when we're approaching this idea of evil and sin and injustice and all of the garbage we see in our culture and in our world and all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the everything that we go through, Paul is saying, look, be wise about it. It's not always just the devil doing it. It's not always just the world doing it. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a combination of things. Sometimes it's you. It's your own desires. We're going to talk about that today. That if we understand the Bible correctly and what the Bible teaches, that we have desires innately in us that oppose the work of God in our life. And that those desires can't be attached to our identity. What you desire is not who you are. The Bible actually has a strong critique for our cultural moment. What you desire to do, what you desire to, uh, to feel is not defining who you are. The Bible has a strong critique for that belief that somehow we are a product of our feelings. There is a philosopher that's once said, I think therefore I am. And that ideology has been so widely adopted. We just believe that. If I think it, I am it. And the Bible has a strong critique and pushback against that. And so this third strand of the flesh, Paul is saying we have to be aware of these three things in our life if we want to actually live out the purposes and calling of God for us. I want to return to verse 3, Ephesians 2. Let's just, let's just read the first three verses um, of there, and we're going to camp on verse 3, part A, um, this morning. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. So here in these first three verses of chapter two, Paul is drawing this contrast, this confrontation that happens. And he's, he's highlighting this was before but now is differentiation. And what Paul is highlighting is that when we... Uh, are not in relationship with Jesus, if you haven't invited Jesus into your life, if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, you're, you're actually under the influence and control of the kingdom of darkness. That you, you, with your strength and your power, have no ability to substantially resist the devil or the influence of the world or your own flesh. And what Paul is saying is you can go to chapters and buy every book off the shelf for self-help and they're not going to last. They're not going to work. They're not going to bring the full transformation that you need in your life. 
You and I need a savior. We need to be taken from one state to another. We need to be taken from the kingdom of death and darkness to the kingdom of light. And so Paul is saying your sin management doesn't work. You're trying to just do a little bit better each day is useless. Because if you're not actually surrendered and following Jesus, you're under the influence and control of these three things. And you can work your tail off to be a better person, but that's not going to give you the transformation that actually brings life. Paul says it this way, all of us used to live that way. Ephesians 2, 3. That phrase again is implying that who or what we surrender to directs the course of our life. What Paul is saying is when you used to live that way, the the evidence of what you allowed to lead you bore fruit in your life. You could see it in your daily actions. You could see it in your attitudes and in your beliefs. You could see it in your interactions with family and friends and with your spouses. And you could see it at work. And what Paul is saying here ultimately, the point that he's bringing us to is that if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you should be able to see the difference. So Paul says, you used to, but that implies that it should be different now. That implies that that prayer maybe you prayed at camp when you were a kid or even recently, that actually there's some kind of life change that should be evidenced through that. And he, I think, would have a gentle critique for us and say, if nothing has really changed in your life, has anything changed at all? If you have no power and effectiveness over sin, over the schemes of the enemy, over the influence of this world and culture, if you feel like you are completely powerless. Have you actually really surrendered your life fully to Christ? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. The scholar Clinton Arnold says it this way, Paul twice speaks of the flesh, or maybe in your version it says the sinful nature, as an overwhelming influence that ordered our lives before Christ. And thus he completes his description of the triad of powers that formerly held us in slavery. Paul says plenty about the role of the flesh in his other letters, especially in Romans and Galatians. We're going to look at a few of those this morning where he explains the Christian life in terms of conflict between the flesh and the spirit. I want to look at the next thing that Paul brings us to. So all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires. This is the first sort of indication of what Paul is talking about. And and that word passionate desires is actually a compound word in the original Greek, and it means sinful humanity. It's that physical aspect of our person in distinction to our immaterial soul. So that's like the actual bearing out of things in our actions and through our flesh, but it's also this evil craving. It's an inordinate, self-indulgent craving that displaces proper affections for God. It's a deep desire, a longing, a coveting, and a craving. 
Paul is saying, look, there's this force in you that craves sin, that craves it, that, that is looking for it. And some of you have experienced this. I've experienced this. When you're driven to look for an outlet for sin, there's this internal desire and craving that's Paul's talking about, these passionate desires that are at work within us. And then he says, not only are there passionate desires, but there's inclinations. That word inclination is an attitude of mind, especially one that favors one alternative over another. It's your thoughts and your feelings, your reason, your purpose and will and intent. It's this desire in us to to distort and twist the, the truth of God. It's to set our minds on things and, and our purpose to be intentional about rejecting what's good and what's right and what is most healthy and beneficial for us and choosing to actually engage our mind purposefully in the opposite. Those are our inclinations. And Paul goes on to say it's these things that make up the sinful nature that he's talking about, or maybe in your translation it says the flesh. The flesh he's talking about here in this context, in this specific context, is not just our our biological cells. He's talking about uh, an ethical kind of force behind us for sinfulness, this this influence in our life that manifests itself through our thoughts and our actions, through our emotion and our desire, through our bodies, through what we do and what we say, how we act, what we engage in, where we walk and how we live. He's saying there's this this influence that's contrary to God's heart for you and I that wants to actually determine our life. So when we put it all together, as we bring it all together in the way that Paul talks about it, he says the sinful nature, I say, this is my sort of summation of this, is our passionate desires, inclinations, our lusts, our cravings, our attitudes, our longings, our intention, our wishes, decisions, mindsets, feelings, and thoughts that influence our body and mind and emotion in a way that opposes the desire of God. So as Paul is talking about the sinful nature, he's talking about the whole of your life. He's talking about your thought life. He's talking about your feelings and your emotional life. He's talking about what you desire in your life, where that's leading you. Is that a desire that comes from the heart of God or is that a desire that's actually not from the heart of God? He's talking about what we think about others. He's talking about how we talk and converse with other people, our speech, how we speak to those around us, how we carry ourselves. These are all wrapped up in Paul's sort of idea of the sinful nature. The Bible 
doesn't teach a, a dualism. The Bible doesn't teach that the body is in and of itself wicked and depraved. God actually created you good when he created the physical earth and your bodies, he said they were good. So God's not looking to destroy the material world. The point of Christianity isn't to be removed out of the body and taken into some spiritual euphoric state. That's not, the Bible actually teaches different. The Bible says that when the end of all things happens when Christ returns. There's going to be a renewed physical earth, that there's a physical resurrection of our bodies, that your body is not the problem. It's how you allow it to be influenced. That the goal of your life shouldn't be to get to this sweet by and by and finally be rid of your desires. The goal of your life is to master them and to live with the purpose and intentionality and power and authority of God over it today. Not to wait for some bygone time when hopefully things will all be better, but the the good news of the gospel and the message of Jesus is that you can walk in victory today. You can apply what Jesus did on the cross. Today, you're not a slave to sin. You're not at the mercy of every desire and every thought. You're not controlled by your body and your wishes and your emotions. And yet so many of us are like a ship without a rudder in a hurricane. We're, we're just being pounded back and forth at the very women mercy of our culture and the devil and his demonic realm and every thought and desire that comes into our mind that we want to gratify. Paul is saying, no, it's not your body that's the problem. It's how you allow it to be influenced. It's what you do with it that's the big deal. And so Paul talks and identifies three classes of people. I want to read this to you. We are for sure finishing this tonight, so you're going to have to come back tonight. 1 Corinthians 2. So Paul is outlining three classes of people here. This is really important. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 3, verse 3. I'm just going to read that out loud for you. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For we can know the Lord's thoughts who knows enough to teach him. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to, a, to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled 
by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? So Paul is outlining three classes of people here. You can jot this down. It's going to be on the screen behind me. The first is unspiritual or the natural. Those are people that have not actually surrendered their lives to Jesus. And they live driven by the world and by the flesh. And that's what they choose. That's the life that they chose is to be lived and ruled at the human level. My desires control me. What I want, I possess. What I feel, I go after. It's everything to please me and my life. What will benefit me and my life? How do I get ahead? How do I have authority and control? How do I, 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 I? The second class of people are spiritual. This is the life ruled by the Spirit of God as evidenced by the visible fruit of the Spirit in their lives from Galatians 5. So these are people that have accepted Jesus and have actually decided that because of that, their life needs to be different. And so you can see in their life the fruit of something different happening. In the third class of people, Paul calls the fleshly. And these are people that have accepted Jesus, but they don't walk according to the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in them, yet the Holy Spirit is not allowed to have full control over them. And they are still walking like men. I want to submit to you that this is probably 90% of the North American church. People who have made a decision intellectually at some point in their life, but it has no translation on how they live or what they do. The effect of the blood of Jesus effectively has done nothing. That they still choose things they know are contrary to the heart and purposes of God in their life. Yeah, they've invited him in to live in their life and they've asked him to be their Lord and Savior, but every other choice is determined by the flesh, what they want and how they want to live. And Paul is saying these three classes exist. You just got to decide which one you want to be a part of and what you're going to go after. Are you going to go after a life that's actually transformed? Or are you going to settle for being infinitely less than God created you for? Are you going to settle to kind of take the scum at the bottom of the barrel? Or are you going to decide that the sacrifice of Jesus meant something and that his invitation to us is not just to go on living the way we were, but to actually live a renewed life where we choose different things, where we decide that our desires aren't king and rule over us, that our emotions are not something to enslave us in. See, we, we have this, we've bought into this lie and we chase it all the time in so many ways. We, we look for instant gratification in everything we do and we want that high of experiencing our own life and making our own choices. Sin is exciting. It is for 30 seconds. And then you're right back into the same garbage you were before. 
20 feet under the water, not knowing how to swim. Paul is saying, what do you want to choose in your life? How do you want to live? We have a choice to actually walk in the authority and victory of Jesus that he paid such a high price for. Or to just go with whatever. I think the thing that is most frustrating to me about my own life when I just survey it and what I'm seeing in your lives is there's moments like during worship and there's other moments where you want the freedom and victory of God, but you're too lazy to do anything about it when the rubber hits the road, when you're confronted with the choice to sin, when, you're conf- you, when, when it's ground zero and I have the choice, am I gonna look at pornography on the computer right now in this moment, what do I do? Am I gonna argue with my wife and demean her, what am I gonna do? Am I going to choose a road of unforgiveness and anger and hatred towards someone? Am I going to be judgmental in my heart in this moment when I'm hurt and I'm offended? How do I respond? And so often we get caught in these cycles. We have good ideas and intentions, Paul said. We want to do what's right. But when the rubber hits the road, we give in and we make that choice that gives us the easy out. And Paul is saying, you don't have to live like that. That there's a third way to live that brings you more freedom and peace and joy than you could ever imagine. Paul, in some of his other writing in the New Testament, goes through what what scholars call his vice list. We're going to read a couple of them just to get an idea of what, what is Paul talking about? What constitutes living by the sinful nature. Galatians 5. It's another good chapter to earmark. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have before, that anybody living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say in Matthew 15? As he speaks to this issue himself, Matthew 15, verse 19 and 20, says this. For from the heart, it's not your body's fault. (laughs) Stop blaming your body. For from the heart, Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These things are what defile you. So Jesus is probing right down to that place 
in us. He's highlighting when he's talking about the heart, he's not talking about it as an organ, a part of our anatomy. He's talking about the heart in terms of its inner self, our volition, our mind, our desires, our intellect, our inner being, that it's out of that inner being if we don't actually exercise the principles of the life of Jesus over our life. It's out of that that we find ourselves getting into trouble and being influenced by all of these things. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the Lord our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So Paul is saying here, let me break it down for you. And this has been so helpful to me. Let me break it down for you. The, the battlegrounds for your life, the areas of attack and influence can be found in our spirit, soul, and body. So I'm going to just throw up a little diagram for you that explains what those are. We've talked about this a lot as a church, but um, our spirit, soul, and body comprise sort of our humanity, who we are. And these aren't things that are strictly, um, again, there's not a dualist view that they're apart from each other, but they're interwoven together. And our spirit is a place of our conscience, intuition, and communion. Our soul is our mind, our intellect, our will, like our volition, what we choose to do, the decisions we choose to make, the things we choose to believe, and our emotion, how we feel. And our body is the senses that we have and the gateway that so many of these things come in. And Paul is saying, look, let's break it down. These are the areas of vulnerability. So you need to understand if you feel like you're under sort of attack or if you feel like you're being pressed in on every side, you can just simply ask God, God, where is this coming from? Is this coming from my emotional life right now? Are there any things that I believed in, any desires that I've engaged in that have left me vulnerable to the influence of the world or the devil or my own flesh? God, is it my mind? Have I been believing things that are opposed to you in your truth? Is my intellect in the way here? Is my mind actually working against me? Have I been choosing things that I know are wrong, but I still do it? God, where is the battleground? And once you isolate exactly that, that point of entry, that break in the enemy's line, you can say, all right, I'm going to take that thought captive, or I'm going to bring these emotions under the authority and the control of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take this anger that I feel right now, and I'm going to make it subject to the word of God over my life. It's written, in your anger, don't sin. I'm not going to allow this to be a gateway to further stuff in my life. And so knowing where that battleground is, is two-thirds of the battle. Paul is laying it out for us and saying, look, there's sort of a, a system to this and the way that the enemy works. I want to show you a couple slides. We've used these before, but... There's way more here than I can get to right now, but um, these kind of isolate those 
those points of confrontation in our life. And again, this is so critical for us to understand. If we're going to walk in victory and we're going to see these patterns of sin broken, these things that we know are less than what God has called us to, if we want to see them broken, we have to understand where the battle is being fought. Jesus, in in his teaching, said, look, if it's your eye, gouge it out. So don't do that. But what he's suggesting is understand your areas of vulnerability. Understand where you are susceptible to temptation and deception. And then take drastic measures to cut it out. You know, we live in the south end of Niagara Falls. We have a beautiful home, but we live behind the Sundowner Strip Club and all of those massage parlors on that section of Lundy's. I used to joke with people coming to our house, I'd say, go to the Sundowner, then turn left. And funny enough, most of the guys could follow those directions. But um, so that's where we live. And over the years, we've lived there eight years now. I have conditioned myself to not drive past there anymore. And if I do, I make, uh, if I do, I make a conscious and intentional decision. I look at Scott's RV park on the other side of the road as I'm driving by. I haven't had an accident yet, which is good. I think that's God's grace. But that's me saying, look, I understand in my life, this could be an area of vulnerability. So I'm going to cut off its access to my life. And I'm not just, I'm just not going to drive by there. It does no good spiritually for me to drive by there and pray that God takes care of that because those demonic influences are being invited there. So something bigger has to happen in the supernatural realm. And I do pray that one day, you know, it'll just shut down or whatever. But this is me understanding, God, where are my points of vulnerability and how do I address them? When we're under the control of sin, it comes through our body, through our senses, what we see and gratifying how we want to feel about things and what we do, the places we go, what we do with our hands. This is humanity under the rule of sin. And that point of confrontation here is right up in this zone with this yellow thing. (laughs) And God says, no, no, no. My spirit, I'm holy, and I don't contend with that garbage and that nonsense. Yes, God is love, and God is grace, but his love demands his justice and his holiness. You cannot separate the two. God's love requires his wrath, and his wrath requires his love. And that's the the point of confrontation there. When you feel like like it is a closed heaven above you, like nothing is going on. You're a, a dead spiritually and, you know, just feel a million miles away from God. You need to begin to look at what you've been inviting into your life through your body and soul. The second one is the area of the soul, our mind, will, and our emotions. Again, in Paul's teaching, we don't have to be a slave and we shouldn't be a slave to our emotional life. That actually he's got something better for you and I. Something better than fear and better than anxiety. 
He's got something so much better for you. But for a lot of people, this is an area of battle that you need to understand and recognize. What is the condition of my emotional life right now? Am I just, again, am I at the mercy of whatever comes in a day? I want to ask you a question. Are you struggling with, with horrific nightmares and night terrors? Are you being emotionally tormented? That might be an indication of where you need to kind of focus your battle plan. Is your mind set apart for God or in conflict with him? And the third one is when we're ruled by the Spirit. This is Paul's language for saying these are people who the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is coming out in their life. And they're walking it out. So I want to leave you with this, and we're going to finish this tonight because there's some really practical things we're going to dip into tonight. We're going to kind of expose some of these gateway sins and give you the biblical sword thrust because the Bible is our sword. It's the word of God is our sword. We're going to give you the biblical response to the attacks of the enemy or the conflict of your flesh tonight. But I want to leave you with this. So what do we do? The first thing you need to do is recognize that our flesh through Jesus has been crucified. You need to acknowledge and know that, that the flesh in and of itself has no power over you. It only has the control and influence and power you give it. Your emotions and your mind, your desires only have the influence over you that you give it. It's so simple. But it's so hard in the moment. It's not rocket science, guys. If you reject what you know is wrong, renounce it from your life and choose the opposite, you'll begin to live a different life. It's that simple. Your flesh has been crucified with Christ if you've given your life to him. It's a done deal. Second, it takes our activation to put to death the deeds of the sinful nature. That it requires our involvement. That although our flesh has been crucified with Christ, we still have a role in walking that out. It requires our intentional work and activity. And so much of this is done in the place of prayer. I'm just going to skip through a few things. And read to you again a couple verses as we're wrapping up for this part A this morning. Ephesians 6. Some of you might know this. This is like classic. Ephesians 6, 12. We are not fighting flesh and blood. Again, there's a bigger spiritual battle going on. but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is Paul just, again, re-emphasizing this. Verse 18, here's, here's how we fight. Verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times, and on every occasion stay alert, and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The ground zero for this battle and all of these battles and all of these skirmishes is prayer. Prayer is powerful. 
It's not just a list you have or food that you, you can't bless food from McDonald's anyway. <laughs> I've tried and I still get fat when I eat it. It doesn't work. I've tried desperately. I've given my kids nuggets without my wife's permission and paid a high price for that. Prayer is powerful. When Paul says we wrestle against flesh and blood, his picture there is of an Olympic wrestler, a Greco-Roman wrestler. Who wrestled here? Did anybody, was anybody like, yep, a big wrestler? I don't understand you. I just, why you would want to wear that unitard thing and have your sweaty body like pressed up against another man's sweaty body for prolonged periods of time. It's not like you're just touching each other. It's like you're on the ground and it's, that's disgusting. Anyway, so, but what Paul is saying is that's what this is like. It's close hand-to-hand warfare and combat. And those battles are fought in prayer. It's taking that thought captive right in that moment. Right when you're tempted to respond in anger to your spouse or to your kids or to your coworker, it's in that moment saying, no, I take that thought captive in Jesus' name and I send it to the cross for his judgment. I will choose now grace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace and grace and joy and all of these things. There's nine of them. That's the confrontation zone. That's where we win or lose the battle. Prayer is much more than just talking about things to God and presenting our lists. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. Why don't you stand with me? That word guard is a fascinating word, actually. It's actually a military term. And that word guard is literally like a sentry, like a S-E-N-T-R-Y, not C-E-N-T-R-Y. A sentry who's posted at an outpost, a guard station. And what Solomon is saying in Proverbs and what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying is that you have to engage yourself in the fight that the battle's been won, the the big macro battle's been won, but you've got to guard what's coming into your life. You've got to guard how you respond. You've got to guard how you talk and what you allow yourself to believe about yourself and other people. You've got to guard your emotional life You're too valuable to God. You've been made for a high purpose and calling. And his invitation to you is, look, I've I've won the war, but there's still some fighting that needs to happen. For a long time, after they signed a ceasefire and end of war agreement in World War II, there was fighting on both sides. Casualties caught in the middle. And I'm, I'm desperately just admonishing you, don't be a casualty of sin and emotional garbage. Don't be a casualty of this world or your own desires. You've been made for more. 
And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, what I want to say to you is he's won the battle. You have a Savior walking and wanting to walk with you and win the war for you. You're not at the mercy of death and destruction and the enemy forces. And if you're a Christian, I want to admonish you here today that God is inviting you to engage in the battle because his calling on your life matters. Your life has significance and purpose. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.